Chapter 10C of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. J. Frank. The Shake by E. M. Hall. Chapter 10C. She looked at him hungrily her eyes ranging slowly over the long length of him and lingering on his bent head. The light from the hanging lamp shone on his thick brown hair, burnishing it like bronze. She was shaking with a sudden new shyness. But love gave her courage, and she went to him, her bare feet noiseless on the rugs. Ahmed, she whispered, he lifted his head slowly and looked at her, and the sight of his face sent her onto her knees beside him, her hands clutching the breast of his soft shirt. Ahmed, what is it? You are hurt? Your wound? she cried, her voice sharp with anxiety. He caught her groping hands, and rising, pulled her gently to her feet, his fingers clenched round hers, looking down at her strangely. Then he turned from her without a word, and wrenching open the flap of the tent, flung it back, and stood in the open doorway, staring out into the night. He looked oddly slender and tall, silhouetted against the darkness. A gleam of perplexity crept into her frightened eyes, and one hand went up to her throat. "'What is it?' she whispered again breathlessly. "'It is that we start for Oran to-morrow,' he replied. His voice sounded dull and curiously unlike, and with a little start Diana realized that he was speaking in English. Her eyes closed, and she swayed dizzily. "'You are sending me away?' she gasped slowly. There was a pause before he answered. "'Yes.' The curt monosyllable lashed her like a whip. She reeled under it, panting and wild-eyed. Why? He did not answer, and the color flamed suddenly into her face. She went closer to him, her breast heaving, trying to speak, but her throat was parched, and her lips shaking so that no words would come. It is because you are tired of me, she muttered at last hoarsely as you told me you would tire as you tired of those other women her voice died away with an accent of horror in it again he did not answer but he winced and his hands that were hanging at his sides clenched slowly diana flung one arm across her face to shut him out from her sight her heart was breaking and she longed with a feeling of sick misery to crawl to his feet but a remnant of pride kept her back. He spoke at length in the same level, toneless voice. I will take you to the first desert station outside of Oran, where you can join the train. For your own sake, I must not be seen with you in Oran, as I am known there. If you should by any chance be recognized, or your identity should leak out, you can say that for reasons of your own 
you extended your trip, that your messages miscarried anything that occurs to you, but it is not at all likely to happen. There are many travelers passing through Oran. Gaston can do all business and make all arrangements for you. He will take you to Marseilles, and if you need him, he will go with you to Paris, Cherbourg, or London, whichever you wish. As you know, you can trust him absolutely. When you do not need him any longer, he will come back to me. I, I will not trouble you any more. You need never be afraid that I will come into your life again. You can forget these months in the desert and the uncivilized Arab who crossed your path. To keep out of your way is the only amends I can make. She flung up her head, quick, suspicious jealousy and love and pride contending nearly choked her. Why don't you speak the truth? she cried wildly. Why don't you say what you really mean? That you have no further use for me, that it amused you to take me and torture me to satisfy your whim, but the whim is past. It does not amuse you any longer. You are tired of me, and so you get rid of me with all precautions. Do you think the truth can hurt me? Nothing that you can do can hurt me now. You made me the vile thing I am for your pleasure, and now for your pleasure you throw me on one side. How many times a year does Gaston take your discarded mistresses back to France? Her voice broke into a terrible laugh. He swung round swiftly and flung his arms about her, crushing her to him savagely, forgetting his strength, his eyes blazing. God, do you think it is easy to let you go, that you are taunting me like this? Do you think I haven't suffered, that I am not suffering now? Don't you know that it is tearing my heart out by the roots to send you away? My life will be hell without you. Do you think I haven't realized what an infinitely damned brute I've been? I didn't love you when I took you. I only wanted you to satisfy the beast in me. And I was glad that you were English, that I could make you suffer as an Englishman made my mother suffer, so I loathed the whole race. I have been mad all my life, I think, up till now. I thought I didn't care until the night I heard that Ibrahim Omer had got you. And then I knew that if anything happened to you, the light of my life was out, and that I would only wait to kill Ibrahim before I killed myself. His arms were like a vice hurting her, but they felt like heaven, and she clung to him speechless, her heart throbbing wildly. He looked down long and deeply into her eyes, and the light in his, the light that she had longed for, made her tremble. His brown head bent lower and lower, and his lips had almost touched her when he drew back, and the love in his eyes faded into misery. 
I mustn't kiss you, he said huskily, as he put her from him gently. I don't think I should have the courage to let you go if I did. I didn't mean to touch you. He turned from her with a little gesture of weariness. Fear fled back into her eyes. I don't want to go, she whispered faintly. He paused by the writing-table and took up the revolver he had loaded earlier, breaking it absently, spinning the magazine between his finger and thumb, and replaced it before answering. You don't understand. There is no other way, he said dully. If you really loved me, you would not let me go, she cried with a miserable sob. If I loved you, he echoed with a hard laugh, if I loved you, it is because I love you so much that I am able to do it. If I loved you a little less, I would let you stay and take your chance. She flung out her hands appealingly. I want to stay, Ahmed. I love you she panted desperate, for she knew his obstinate determination, and she saw her chance of happiness slipping away. He did not move or look at her, and his brows drew together in the dreaded, heavy frown. "'You don't know what you are saying. You don't know what it would mean,' he replied in a voice from which he had forced all expression. "'If you married me, you would have to live always here in the desert.' I cannot leave my people, and I am too much of an Arab to let you go alone. It would be no life for you. You think you love me now, though God knows how you can after what I have done to you, but a time would come when you would find that your love for me did not compensate for your life here. And marriage with me is unthinkable. You know what I am and what I have been. You know that I am not fit to live with, not fit to be near any decent woman. You know what sort of a damnable life I have led. The memory of it would always come between us. You would never forget. You would never trust me. And if you could, of your charity, both forgive and forget, you know that I am not easy to live with. You know my devilish temper. It has not spared you in the past. It might not spare you in the future. Do you think that I could bear to see you year after year growing to hate me more? You think that I am cruel now, but I am thinking what is best for you afterwards. Some day you will think of me a little kindly, because I had the strength to let you go. You are so young, your life is only just beginning. You are strong enough to put the memory of these last months out of your mind, to forget the past and live only for the future. No one need ever know. There can be no fear for your reputation. Things are forgotten in the silence of the desert. Mustafa Ali is many hundreds of miles away, but not so far that he would dare to talk. My own men need not be considered. They speak or are silent as I wish. There is only Raoul, 
and there is no question of him. He has not spared me his opinion. You must go back to your own country, to your own people, to your own life, in which I have no place or part, and soon all this will seem only like an ugly dream. The sweat was standing out on his forehead, and his hands were clenched with the effort he was making. But her head was buried in her hands, and she did not see the torture in his face. She only heard his soft, low voice inexorably decreeing her fate and shutting her out from happiness in quiet, almost indifferent tones. She shuddered convulsively. Ahmed, I go, she wailed. He looked up sharply, his face livid, and tore her hands from her face. "'Good God, you don't mean—I haven't—you aren't!' he gasped hoarsely, looking down at her with a great fear in his eyes. She guessed what he meant, and the color rushed into her face. The temptation to lie to him and let the consequences rest with the future was almost more than she could resist. One little word, and she would be in his arms. But afterwards. It was the fear of the afterwards that kept her silent. The color slowly drained from her face, and she shook her head mutely. He let go her wrists with a quick sigh of relief, and wiped the perspiration from his face. Then he laid his hand on her shoulder, and pushed her gently towards the inner room. For a moment she resisted, her wide, desperate eyes searching his. But he would not meet her look, and his mouth was set in the hard, straight line she knew so well. And with a cry she flung herself on his breast, her face hidden against him, her hands clinging round his neck. Ahmed! Ahmed! You are killing me! I cannot live without you! I love you, and I want you! only you. I am not afraid of the loneliness of the desert. It is the loneliness of the world outside the shelter of your arms that I am afraid of. I am not afraid of what you are or what you have been. I am not afraid of what you might do to me. I never lived until you taught me what life was here in the desert. I can't go back to the old life, Ahmed. Have pity on me. Don't shut me out from my only chance of happiness. Don't send me away. I know you love me. I know, I know. And because I know, I am not ashamed to beg you to be merciful. I haven't any shame or pride left. Ah, oh, Mad, speak to me. I can't bear your silence. Oh, you are cruel, cruel. A spasm crossed his face, but his mouth set firmer, and he disengaged her clinging hands with relentless fingers. "'I have never been anything else,' he said bitterly. "'But I am willing that you should think me a brute now, rather than you should live to curse the day you ever saw me. I still think that your greater chance of happiness lies away from me rather than with me.' and for your ultimate happiness I am content to sacrifice everything. He dropped her hands and turned abruptly, going back to the doorway, looking out into the darkness. 
It is very late. We must start early. Go and lie down, he said gently, but it was an order in spite of the gentleness of his voice. She shrank back trembling with piteous, stricken face and eyes filled with a great despair. She knew him, and she knew it was the end. Nothing would break his resolution. She looked at him with quivering lips through a mist of tears, looked at him with a desperate fixedness that sought to memorize indelibly his beloved image in her heart. The dear head so proudly poised on the broad shoulders, the long, strong limbs, the slender, graceful body. He was all good to look upon, a man of men. Monseigneur, Monseigneur, mon maître et seigneur. No, it would never be that any more. A rush of tears blinded her, and she stepped back uncertainly, and stumbled against the little writing-table. She caught at it behind her to steady herself, and her fingers touched the revolver he had laid down. The contact of the cold metal sent a chill that seemed to strike her heart. She stood rigid, with startled eyes fixed on the motionless figure in the doorway, one hand gripping the weapon tightly, and the other clutching the silken wrap across her breast. Her mind raced forward feverishly. There were only a few hours left before the morning, before the bitter moment when she must leave behind her forever the surroundings that had become so dear, that had been her home, as the old castle in England had never been. She thought of the long journey northward, the agonized protraction of her misery riding beside him, the nightly camps when she would lie alone in the little traveling tent, and then the final parting at the wayside station, when she would have to watch him wheel at the head of his men and ride out of her life. And she would strain her eyes through the dust and sand to catch the last glimpse of the upright figure on the spirited black horse. It would be the hawk, she thought suddenly. He had ridden Shaitan today, and he always used one or other of the two for long journeys. It was the hawk he had ridden the day she had made her bid for freedom, and who had carried the double burden on the return journey when she had found her happiness. The contrast between that ride when she had lain content in the curve of his strong arm, and the ride that she would take the next day, was poignant. She closed her teeth on her trembling lip. Her fingers tightened on the stock of the revolver, and a wild light came into her sad eyes. She could never go through with it. To what end would be the hideous torture? What was life without him? Nothing, and less than nothing. She could never give herself to another man. She was necessary to no one. Aubrey had no real need of her. His selfishness wrapped him around with a complacency that abundantly satisfied him. One day, for the sake of the family, he would marry, perhaps was already married, if he had been able to find a woman in America who would accept his egoism along with his old name and possessions. Her life was her own to deal with. Nobody would be injured by its termination. Aubrey, indeed, would benefit considerably. And he... His figure was blurred through the tears that filled her eyes. Slowly, 
she lifted the weapon clear of the table with steady fingers and brought her hand stealthily from behind her. She looked at it for a moment, dispassionately. She was not afraid. She was conscious only of an overwhelming weariness, a longing for rest that should still the gnawing pain in her breast and the throbbing in her head. A flash, and it would be over, and all her sorrow would melt away. But would it? A doubting fear of the hereafter rushed over her. What if suffering lived beyond the borderline? But the fear went as suddenly as it had come, for with it came remembrance that in that shadowy world she would find one who would understand, her own father, who had shot himself, mad with heartbroken despair, when her mother died in giving her birth. She lifted the revolver to her temple resolutely. There had been no sound to betray what was passing behind him. But the extra sense, the consciousness of imminent danger that was strong in the desert-bred man, sprang into active force within the shake. He turned like a flash, and leaped across the space that separated them, catching her hand as she pressed the trigger, and the bullet sped harmlessly an inch above her head. With his face gone suddenly ghastly, he wrenched the weapon from her and flung it far into the night. For a moment they stared into each other's eyes in silence. Then with a moan she slipped from his grasp, and fell at his feet in an agony of terrible weeping. With a low exclamation he stooped and swept her up into his arms, holding her slender, shaking figure with tender strength, pressing her head against him, his cheek on her red-gold curls. My God, child, don't cry so. I can bear anything but that, he cried brokenly. But the terrible sobs went on, and fearfully he caught her closer, straining her to him convulsively, raining kisses on her shining hair. Diane, Diane, he whispered imploringly, falling back into the soft French that seemed so much more natural. Mon amour, ma bien-aimée, ne pleure pas, je t'en prie, je t'aime, je t'adore, tu resteras près de moi. She seemed only half-conscious, unable to check the emotion that unloosed overwhelmed her. She lay inert against him, racked with the long, shuddering sobs that shook her. His firm mouth quivered as he looked down at his work. Gathering her up to his heart, he carried her to the divan, and the weight of her soft, slim body sent the blood racing madly through his veins. He laid her down, and dropped on his knees beside her, his arm wrapped round her, whispering words of passionate love. Gradually the terrible shuddering passed, and the gasping sobs died away, and she lay still, so still and white that he was afraid. He tried to rise to fetch some restorative, but at the first movement she clung to him, pressing closer to him. I don't want anything but you, she murmured almost inaudibly. 
His arm tightened round her, and he turned her face up to his. Her eyes were closed, and the wet lashes lay black against her pale cheek. His lips touched them pitifully. "'Diane, will you never look at me again?' His voice was almost humble. Her eyes quivered a moment, and then opened slowly, looking up into his with a still lingering fear in them. "'You won't send me away,' she whispered pleadingly, like a terrified child. A hard sob broke from him, and he kissed her trembling lips fiercely. "'Never,' he said sternly. "'I will never let you go now. My God, if you knew how I wanted you, if you knew what it cost me to send you away.' Pray, God, I keep you happy. You know the worst of me, poor child. You will have a devil for a husband. The color stole back slowly into her face, and a little tremulous smile curved her lips. She slid her arm up and round his neck, drawing his head down. I am not afraid, she murmured slowly. I am not afraid of anything with your arms round me, my desert lover. Ahmed, Monseigneur. End of chapter 10C And End of The Shake by E. M. Hall Recording by M. J. Frank, Portland, Oregon.